Under the Helmet. You do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. Tell you, man, you leading the league in hydration. I got a dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to the Helmet. We've got some long-term play value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons, joined by Katie Flower, official show of uthdynasty.com, the weekly show here. we got some premium shows if you're interested by becoming a general manager plus subscriber. Get all that on your mobile device of choice and app of choice. And Katie, we've got full-on action this week. I didn't have a lot to glean. Uh, I recorded a quick show on the preseason game, Hall of Fame game last week, but we're going to get all the teams in it this week. We're going to start getting some of those live fire data points. We've had far too many news items that have been injuries, but I wanted to do one quick check, one final point here before we really kickstart, because the trading aspect is something I've really focused on in 2021. A little too much in, in past years on startup drafts. Not every dynasty owner does a startup draft every single year. Some people are in two, three, five leagues, and but everyone trades and does rookie drafts, does the waiver wire. We're going to focus a little bit on different team dynamics in this episode with dynasty trading, because that's something that you can do for a lot of leagues, 9, 11, even 12 months out of the year uh, when your trading is officially open and you are able and eligible to make moves. Um, So as we get into this topic, we have some specific questions, but I always think that you can never have too many tools because every league dynamic, every situation with your team is different, but the tools are the important part to know what to draw. Is it a sword? Is it a hammer, a flamethrower? What you need in a specific setting because you still, I still find myself seeing thousands of trading environments over the years. I still find myself learning every single year. Absolutely. And, you know, trading is an art. It does take time to develop. It takes time to learn your league mates. Some you can get to know pretty quickly and their tendencies. And, and especially when it comes to new owners in the league or from a dispersal draft, you want to be the first to get to know the new owner or owners and open up a dialogue. Even if you're just finding out what their favorite team is and you're talking about hometown beers or something, you still gain information about them. Absolutely. And I do want to direct folks, this is going to be a microcosm. We're going to give a few data points here. It's one weekly show. Um, I did a whole series on different team dynamics uh, on the premium side back in the spring. So you can certainly find that as a subscriber. Katie, let's start out by by having a few bullet points here on your biggest keys when you're an elite team, a, a strong team, the top one, two, three of your league. You know it. The league probably knows it. You've been building for a while. Maybe you just had a really good startup draft and you're months removed from that. Uh, maybe not even into your first season. Things just went your way. Um, but when you're a strong team, talk about how when you're giving guidance, when someone mentions that they're you know a really strong team, they share their roster, what kind of clicks over for you that's going to alter the advice, the general tactics that you're going to employ, giving advice as an analyst, but also your own teams in this setting? So you've got to know your audience. And when it comes to being an elite dominant team, 
I think of one that Tim and I own together as one example. And one thing that I like to do when you are a strong team is don't dilute your studs, but stud up. So take your, take your younger prospects. You want to stay balanced and you want to have some young guys developing. But if you get a guy that seems like he has more hype than true value, that's when you take that player and package with another to stud up. And maybe you've already got three or four stud running backs. Okay, add a fifth. Or, you know, if, if you've got four or five starting wide receivers and somebody that's rebuilding has a sale on DeAndre Hopkins, inquire within. Do not waste a moment to, to get another stud on your team. Stay balanced. Keep some young guys. Don't get too old, but don't dilute your studs. You want to stud up instead. Yeah, man, that's that's a great one. And, and I have a different terminology for it, but basically the same thing, which is I, I work on two lineup theory, which is you want to have such insulation. You're kind of mentioning that when you can get another auto start player, and they may not be an auto start player for you, frankly. You know, you may be strong enough that you say, they may not fit weekly into my lineup depending on how this year goes, but you're taking that away from a, a league mate. That may be a situation where that team is just looking to divest, get more assets, more chances to hit. But for you, what you want to do is be insulated, truly insulated so that an injury at any position doesn't really hurt you. So you do this in segments, and this is probably not something that happens in the first 12, 18 months of a league. But over time, when you get, especially you get three, four years into a league, things have been going well. You've been managing it well. I'm sure you and Tim's environment is similar. And Tim and I have a team, uh, same sort of thing, where it is all about stud acquisition. So that to me is always 1.0. And frankly, the foundational point every year that you kind of discuss of like, Where's an opportunity for us to get another auto start player to take them away from the league, but make it so that, I mean, you, you put an armor on yourself. If you have to start three, four wide receivers and you got five or six really good ones that would be happy for anyone to have in their top two or three on the rest of the league, you're so far ahead because by weeks, you're still starting studs. You know, in, an injury, you're still starting studs. A horrific matchup if those, you know, Revis Island or whatever exists anymore, all of a sudden you can just pivot somewhere else. So uh, that, that would be the thing that really goes along with what you were just saying that you have to be thinking in terms of high end because that, frankly, as a strong team, is one of the last things that matter to you. I mean, a lot of this. You know, these petty trades that you see, and frankly, you know, half of the stuff you're going to see on the waiver wire, it really doesn't pertain to you because you just have a higher elevation of what a roster spot means and also what, you know, your top 10 to 15 players on your roster mean. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another thing when you're an elite team is you don't want to trade with another elite team. You don't want to make them stronger. You want to find a team that's rebuilding, that could use the two or three chips, that could take the risk, that can take the chance. And they want the more and you want the one stud. So that ends up working out perfect. But you certainly don't want to trade with your competition to make them stronger I mean, at least I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is you want to have some flexibility uh, that 
can you play the waiver wire? I have one league that it's about 30 roster spots, but for a year or two now, that I, I kind of have one rotational spot, if that. You know, and you we, we talk about attrition, you know, and taking those final uh, rookie draft spots of saying, I need clarity here. You know, unless you have some taxi squad, I need rotational spots. You don't want everyone to work out. You're going to be looking to consolidate. You want clarity of that player to some capacity by week one or very early in the season. So, and and I'll just tell you, I mean, that one league, I love my team. I have the double roster theory in effect and all this stuff, but I would love to have one or two spots. And I'm constantly focusing on where's my rotational spot right now? Who's my cut? Like, just look at your roster. Do you, and, and if, frankly, they're above the line of being a cut, a lot of times go five or six players in on your roster from the back end, and you might be looking to do a two-for-one. Look to consolidate. Look to add a stud, you know, so it aligns with what we've already talked about. But if you are all the way down to the last guy, and you, you talked about it before, have high-end players, but the middle-tier players, that may be where you have some latitude to make a move so that you actually have some some waiver wire and roster spot flexibility. Because if you have zero, you're going to miss out on opportunities. So you want to at least have some. And another thing uh, that keeps elite teams elite is if you get the opportunity, let's say that a new team or a new owner takes over an orphan, they've got one really good asset that happens to be young, like a Justin Jefferson or just to throw out a name. It's okay to overpay a little bit for Justin Jefferson to secure him and to get him. You're using other assets. You're diluting that team's stud, but because they're building, they could use the two or three chips and maybe a pick or two. Whereas you are now getting a young stud that makes your team younger and balanced and you continue to roll on from there. Just like if you have the opportunity to buy the 101 from somebody in a year where you get a Saquon Barkley or a guy that is going to be an, a pretty much an instant starter from rookie point standpoint on, again, it's okay to splash the pot a little bit and overpay for that to lock that up. And the guy that has the 101, if they earned it, probably want those two to three players plus maybe your 112 or whatever. And okay, I'd rather consolidate and get that that one rather than have to burn roster spots for the maybes. Yeah, I remember I did that exact thing in the Ezekiel Elliott class. I remember I had like 104, one you know, a late first. And then I had, uh, I, I threw in both of those picks plus a couple other pieces. I remember Randall Cobb was part of it and he was actually still a pretty relevant guy. Um, but I gave all that for the 101 and that was pre NFL draft to take Ezekiel Elliott, who was, you know, the go away, uh, 101 Debbie guy, you know, all that going in, there wasn't a lot of mystery on what was going to happen. I mean, going to Dallas was, you know, a, a part that we didn't have full clarity on yet, but, uh, but yeah, you know, going in, but it's a lot of, Again, trading in that depth. Um, the one thing I, w- I was going to add uh, to close it out, uh, th- this section of, of the Dynasty trading tips here was going to be, don't really, you know, you may think that you have to tinker uh, a lot in, say, a rebuilding situation if you're in the middle, uh, really active in trading. I would say my strongest teams 
I, I am very particular about what I'm trying to do. Is there a profile that I think is undervalued? Is there a certain player that I think is overcooked right now? And that's oh, across the 12 months of the calendar, not specific to one time of year. But don't feel like you really have to tinker. You have a good team. You built a good team. And I think the longer you go, the more selective you are. And I, I think that would be... Uh, you know, a life analogy would be if your time is super valuable, you know, you have, you know, an assistant, they're planning your stuff. It's not that you have no recreation, but you have business, you have pleasure, you have all this stuff on your calendar. Your your time, that asset is going to be, you're going to be pretty selective with it, I would imagine in that setting. You're moving, you're shaking, you're doing a lot of stuff. And so in Dynasty, again, you love your team, you're on a great track, you're annual contender, good luck league, all those things. So again, the the very thoughtful maneuvers and not just, well, it's a Wednesday. Let me go out and see you know, what's kind of going on in the league trading market. Have an agenda, and I would say even more so than with other uh, team strengths. Excellent point. And one more, one more point. Come rookie time, don't get rookie fever. It's so dangerous when you're a strong team to think, oh, I've got to trade off my Alvin Kamara to get the 105 or something like that, and then plus something it, if you fall in love with a rookie, wait for their bu- secondary buy window if you can't obtain them for a reasonable price. But please, please, please don't sell off your studs for rookie picks Cashing just because it's rookie stuff, season. Right. Cashing in legitimate contending pieces. That right. It's like, well, that's why you're here. You're here to contend. You're here to pummel the league. And yeah, cashing that in to a team that's middle of the road, that might be what catches them up to you. So you got to be really careful with that. Um, all right. The next uh, team dynamic here is the exact opposite. We're, we're talking two extremes here. And this is when you're a poor team, you're a weak team, maybe a rebuilding team. This could be an orphan you take over. So this is completely the opposite. There is no double lineup theory going on here. This is completely, you know, you may have nothing. You may have almost nothing. Uh, or you could be absolutely middling and say, I've got work to do, but still there's some good tips here because you still want to do it the right way. Yeah. And so a lot of what we said for an elite team is almost opposite for a weak team. You want to get the more pieces. You've got to take the more risk. You've got to do the dice roll. But the one caveat that I have to that is if you take over a team or you just happen to have a team that's really weak, but you have only one or two strong assets, whatever you do, do not trade a 24-year-old Patrick Mahomes to the number one team in the league that already has Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb and a bunch of younger guys. You're going to be spinning your wheels for years just trying to catch up to them. Even if they offer you two or three what you think are decent pieces, they're still going to be stomping you for years and years to come. So find that middle-of-the-road team that needs the push that needs to get up into the top six to make the playoffs, to make the race and, and to possibly win it, find somebody in that middle portion. If you've got a, only that younger stud that you have, you feel like you can't build around that you have to sell off. And then the other part of the equation, if you've got a stinky team is make sure to sell your aging vets to those contending teams that are that are keep them old push them over the the old age cliff and try to take their younger assets even if they aren't quite studs yet get two or three of them that you can then kind of nurse and hope that they do hit 
and then you can continue to make cascading trades from there. Yeah, uh, that's a really good one. Um, I was going to say, if you got one or two notable players, and this is not going to be some static, you know, uh, overarching, you have to sell them. I would say assess to see if you actually have the pieces to build around. Is that going to be a longer term projection? Do you have, you know, just your regular allotment of picks this year, next year? And you don't have a lot of, you know, it's not like you have, oh, I got LaVisca Chenault and, you know, seven or eight guys that could become something that, oh, well, it's just not great right now. Um, so assess, but if you really have one or two studs and that's about it, if you are selling, and we've talked about this, I, I, it feels like 10 shows a year we say this, but you've got to freaking do it the right way. And it, you've got to get your money's worth if you're selling them. So I've seen it too many times where they're like, well, I need to get younger. And they sell for a marginal upside guy that isn't you know, blue chip. And then they get like a future first. And that's from like a, one of the better teams. And it's like, well, you just sold your best player. That It's like selling... Let's pretend in a startup draft, the only trade you could make is trading down from round one. That's your best asset of the whole thing. And if you sell low on that, what are we doing here is what I would say. So this is so it's high leverage, it's high risk. Frankly, you need some high risk in your life because you're not going to catch up. Every team's trying to improve. But if you got that player, you've got to get your money's worth. You've said it before. I think you you even put a threshold of like you got a stud, make sure you get a stud-ish guy back. And ideally you're probably looking for that younger profile. Maybe it's going to be, you know, if you have a 24, 25-year-old running back stud, yeah, transitioning over to a wide receiver on a, you know, you mentioned Justin Jefferson or someone like that of a higher traje- a high trajectory, but at a longer lens position that will extend your runway a little bit more than the next two or three years of insulation, let's say. But you've got to get at least, you know, a, a guy of that trajectory. You can't trade your first rounder in this capacity for a startup round six, eight, ten, you know, stuff like that. You can't do it. You need to get someone high end that you feel very confident that they're going to develop and basically be that guy in the next 12, 18 months. You know, have a relatively short, short lens there. So you've got to get your money's worth when selling a stud if you have one, because once you trade that player away, you've got it now. Your only avenue is start hitting on picks, trade, make minor deals otherwise. Like that really is your poker chip. That one thing. So when you put it on the Vegas table, you have got to give yourself the highest percentage chance. And just know almost every other team in the league is going to be interested to some degree. The contenders are going to be interested. Some of the middle of the road teams are going to be interested. Heck, maybe teams fighting to be middle of the road might be interested in said stud. So leverage that. Be patient. Don't just take over a team and say, yep, Christian McCaffrey, you got to go in the first three days that I own you. No, you've got to be a little more pragmatic about it and not put some self-inflicted clock because otherwise, uh, I, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Know that you have one of the best guys. Know that you have a stud and know that this is your greatest opportunity to parlay that into two, three, four pieces and set your team team up for a revival and a turnaround. And here's an example of a what not to do. 14-team league, it is a super flex. And this team has earned the 101 this past year. And I think they were in that bottom four the year before. So they're, they're a bad team, but they feel like they've got really good rookies and really good young players. So they've already traded away their 22 first 
feeling oh so proud even though I had the 101 this year they they already traded away their 22 first they they traded 23 first and 23 third for Elijah Moore rather than taking him in this past draft they they just traded up for him because that's he plays for the Jets and that's the guy's favorite team and then two days later traded Rondale Moore and a third for Daryl Henderson and a second because they figured Daryl Henderson is the one running back they need to obviously win it all this year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, well, and, and just off of what you said, I mean, one of the things that, that I blows my mind is I'll see teams make, you know, rebuilding, retooling type deals, and then I'll see them turn around and make a contending move. They're all over the place. They make a lot of different deals um, that, that don't really align with, with maybe what you're trying to do. Um, the other thing I would say here for, for the poor and rebuilding teams is what positions translate to the long haul investment when you're going to be ready to contend? If this year is not important, and you say this all the time, where you know even in startups, you say, hey, Running back, you can you can fix it with future rookie drafts easier than other positions. You can fix it from the waiver wire, depending you know unless it's a super deep league. Um, you have other avenue, Devi, uh, you know as well. So you know thinking that that's super important at the outset, and if you're in a rebuilding situation, similar sort of thing. So if that's super flex, can you get yourself a core quarterback, a guy that puts you on a three to five year plus trajectory? Now you've got a guy. And I remember when I took over a team, one of my first things I did was uh, trade on a team that I lacked a little bit of quarterback super flex. And just this team, I was starting to retool it. I, I made a deal for Dak Prescott. And all of a sudden, that jump started me. Uh, but you can use that as a proxy for a different player. And if it's a start one, obviously, quarterback doesn't apply. But build the runway. And that's usually wide receiver. It could be a, a young cornerstone tight end, potentially. But generally, it's quarterback and super flex. Get yourself a couple of, of wide receivers otherwise that, that puts you on a trajectory of like, now I'm building a skeleton and it's going to be easier to go around it because those can be productive profiles that can be tough to fix later on or tougher to fix. Yeah, absolutely. You, you've got to think in layers and what can I fix this year? What doesn't really matter or what is easiest to hit in rookie drafts? And so running back is always the last position to fix because it's the easiest one to get organically, you're going to have a higher future pick. And there's, there should pretty much, there's at least one running back in each class. That's got some juice, um, not necessarily a stud, but in the next coming couple of classes, there's two guys next year and then four or five, the following plus some decent ones in between, but it's the easiest position to fix. The last one for me uh, in this category for any again you can go, you can hear a lot more bullet points and I, I go into this in depth earlier in the off season is really think about those waiver wire flips that uh, you know they're fugazis they're short term plays that doesn't apply to you you're not contending this is not going to be oh I picked up said running back that's going to have a six week window or you know the profile isn't that great what are the chances that they really get to the off season through free agency through the draft all this stuff. 
that you've got to be pretty aggressive and flip these guys, churn it over and over and over again, because that's how you get picks. That's how you get maybe some injured rookies that you like that you didn't draft or younger players or profiles. You can take on all this distressed stuff. You're, you, you're like embrace the Deshaun Watson. You embrace, uh, you know, who's going to get hurt. You know, you might take a shot, you know, at a foot player equivalency. Give me Cam Akers. Give me a chance at upside. You know, I can take the variance. Other teams may, you know, in October, they're going to gravitate towards the, the flip running back you got a few weeks ago. Now they have a job. Now they might be worth a second round equivalency or a third round and a player you like that's injured or slow start by a wide receiver profile. So keep all that in mind. And you really shouldn't have a problem being so active on the waiver wire because your team isn't that great. What do you hold it on to? You know, the back, the back five, eight roster spots, you need to be highly active with those low ball, low ball, uh, with those, with those uh, conservative bids, you know, that giving yourself a lot of different chances so that you can find Fugazi's find flip guys. Cause that's how you keep getting the picks and the young players. And every once in a while you actually get a good profile becomes a core guy out of deals like that. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's excellent. All right. Let's go to the last one here, which is the biggest key when trading in season. So in season off season is a completely different animal than when we're, it pretty much is going to start in a week. Once the preseason data points, we're going to hear so many storylines and week one, you know, see a four months later. So, so in season trading, we're, we're days away from it really starting to where ADP, the market, it's all meaningless. There is no, the market is going to be what you think it should be in the next, you know, 48, 72 hours uh, on this weekly cycling we're going to have. So what are, what's a, what's a, a tip for folks as they think about now in season and they haven't been in season in a while. So the number one tip, and this comes from you, Chad, from years ago, but it bears repeating the number one tip for trading in season is make a dynasty trade. Whether you're contending, not contending, you want to make a trade that makes sense dynasty-wise, not just redraft. You don't, even though, yes, you want to win the season, don't put yourself in that redraft frame of mind. Make sure it's a dynasty trade that will help your team long-term. I'm going to say be flexible because... I mean, you think we actually get some group think going on at various pockets of four, six, eight weeks in the off season of, oh, ADP is rigid. You can go into a startup draft with your little sheet and it's going to be relatively close to that. There might be a few surprises, but there's a lot of similarities, let's say. And, it, you know, rookie drafts, right? I mean, it's amazing. You get to even like May 3rd or 4th. And it's amazing. Like I get 10, 15 drafts right after the NFL draft is finishing it up on that Sunday. And it's all of a sudden, like, it's amazing how the sheep just flock together and, and everyone sort of drafts relatively the same. And in season, you can't have it. You just cannot have that environment because by the time someone puts something out on a Wednesday or a Thursday, by the time, like, let's say, let's just say, ESPN puts out a free article about Dynasty and it's like, buy this guy and here's the exact price. And that comes out on like Wednesday of a certain week. By the time people consume that and try to put it into action, I mean, Thursday night kickoff, you've got you know things that are changing with injuries, uh, you know other dynamics at play. And the biggest thing is you've got your own league. This league is going to have 12 rogue people in the typical one that all are reacting to different things on an hourly basis, and they're thinking about their lineup every single week. 
So good luck predicting that. And that's why you have to get really good. I, I tell people all the time in off season, work on your toolbox of sending a bunch of similar offers because you're going to have a tighter window in, in the regular season. Instead of this like, oh, Chad said to you know, sell this player for X you know, or try to do this. And you, you just sort of meander and you send the offers over the course of a week and a half. You could do that in June, but you get to week three. And you know, if we have a call or we have a recommendation on a Tuesday, you've got till Thursday or Sunday and that's it. And you're going to have to go through and you know send the, the the blitz of offers, and then if that doesn't work, hey, if if they're a hot tamale, you want to get them out of there. You're going to have to lower your asking point. You're going to have to lower it again, but you're going to have to go to two, three waves sometimes, and then make a value judgment. How low am I willing to go? This is all happens in one week with some fugazi or hot potato, and again, it, it might take you a few weeks to get into this. Uh, this routine, but this is definitely something. If you haven't done it previous seasons, you need to start working on it. Pick one of your leagues, pick a rebuilding team, whatever you need to do, because that is an essential in-season skill that a lot of people get stuck holding a lot of bags. And partly it's that they aren't active enough and aren't aggressive enough when they think that this player is a sell. You might not be able to sell for whatever you envision as full value. You might take 75 cents on the dollar and you know what? It still may seem like double the price in a month that that you'd be able to get. Yeah, dynasty owners have to be both patient and aggressive, which sounds counterintuitive, but you got to be patient with your rookies, especially all the scouting that you put into it or that you heard others and you trust their advice. Uh, if a guy gets injured, like right now, Rashad Bateman is already banged up a little bit, so he may get off to a slow start. Rookies usually do anyway, especially... So did Brandon Ayuk, by the way, last year. So did Odell Beckham. They were on the shelf to start the year. Exactly. Exactly. So you have to be patient with those kind of guys. But then if there is somebody that starts to rise up like the Tajay Sharps of the world, where you know that they're just, you know, they came from round three and you don't believe in them long term, they will become a hot potato, a commodity that you have to shop aggressively and try for the moon to begin with, but be willing to just do what it takes. Um, like, I couldn't believe in a 16-team league that I was able to get a first for Tajay Sharp back in that day, back at that time. And he the immediately... stories are so great. The, yeah. the, the, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a seven-day window where you can get a first for Matt Jones. For example, he had one big game. All of a sudden, he was going to be the starter. And, and people, you know, if they get five years removed. They're like, "No, get out of here!" Yes, that's yes. in-season trading. Well, Daryl Henderson, if he starts the season, I mean, you could probably get a first form now. Look at that trade, Rondell Moore for Daryl Henderson, and and basically a, a pick swap. Um, so sometimes, while it may sound silly, not all dynasty owners have subscriptions to other places. And so they may just look at the name of the player and say, oh, that's the starter for the Atlanta Falcons and I need a running back. I just lost so-and-so. And they'll throw their first round like it's candy and you wouldn't have even almost been embarrassed asking for it. Yeah. Um, I, I think in-season trading is my favorite. I mean, I do like you know having a bunch of leagues and being able to do the machinations with rookie drafts um, where you can do similar similar tactics across your leagues and you know get a little bit of variety of format too. But 
the uh, moving around the board and 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 all that um, is is the second favorite. But I would say in season is is absolutely my favorite, just because I, I mentioned it. And, and sort of my final point would be that every league is different, and so there's a cross section of dynasty owners out there that they can say in July they don't do this, they can say in February they don't do it, but. Let's face it, to some degree, we all have that little trigger on our head that, yeah, we're thinking about our lineups. We're thinking about our weak spot. We we say you got to make a dynasty trade. Katie said that a few minutes ago. So that's always the foundational aspect, but it doesn't prevent you. And we're human. We're thinking about our lineup. Oh, I got a weak spot at tight end. Well, there's a lot of different ways to, to fix that. And it's not always to triple overpay and you know buy a, a guy that's on a real short-term lens here uh, to fill that that weakness. Um, I, I think I also did a series looking at if you're weak at every single skill position, I did a feature show on, well, how do you actually address that? Um, because I think it varies based on format and based on position and based on, well, here would be the first thing you should do. Here's the second thing. And, and there's a, a sort of checklist of to-do list items that can all help you where I think a lot of people think of it only in terms of, oh, I'm going to throw a waiver, you know, just always do it from the waiver wire if I'm weak at a position. They cost themselves roster spots. All of a sudden, their their roster allocation gets out of the whack. And then other people think, well, I got to buy a stud no matter what it costs. And they hurt the rest of their team. And now they have a weak spot somewhere else. So th- that's another, another thing I would say is that still making dynasty trades and in season, in, in embrace the variance b- between your leagues of the how you might be able to easily get a first round pick you know, from a player. And yet you might not even get, be able to get a second from a different league, similar format, just because it's 11 different owners. So that would be my embrace that, embrace the wild in the jungle. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what you know? animals and species and danger is around the next corner? Because that also leads to no groupthink. You know, people put out rankings and we get more news 48 hours later and they're stale. The one thing about this show we always say is Tuesday night in season, you're, we're, we're peeking through keyholes, as Sigmund Bloom likes to say. Like we are, we are not flying blind. I mean, it's better than a Monday, but we're still really early in the practice. And what do we think in terms of a player's availability for the week? And you know, the the we a lot of times on Tuesday, Wednesday, you make some waiver uh, pickups, and Friday, Saturday, it looks a little different with final practice reports and, and valuations. So that's why it's just every step you make the best decisions you possibly can, and that doesn't mean that. One day, three days, seven days later, it looks completely different. Yeah. And um, my final thoughts are just don't be afraid to make mistakes because every dynasty owner makes mistakes. Don't let that hold you back. When you're asking for advice, whether it's from me or Chad or from anybody, anybody that has dynasty experience, have enough conviction in what your own likes are that if it's between two players, don't say, well, who would you prefer? Who would you take? If I give you two players and I say they're fairly equal, then that's my opinion. I'm not, I don't want to steer you away from somebody that you like better. If they're close enough, I'm going to tell you they're close enough. But, or if there's three, three people, well, what exactly, which order would you take them? Have some, if I give you a group of three players or somebody gives you a group of three players, well, pick your favorite and be okay with that. It's okay. I know your league. It might be a certain position that that you deem or you know the league values higher. Exactly. But everybody makes mistakes and that's part of the fun of Dynasty. 
And it may just be an up and down. It may just be a momentary lull. And then all of a sudden, six months from now, that player looks completely different and you look like a genius. So just have fun with it. That's the main thing. I am so pumped for this season to start. Enjoy the ride. Exactly. It's about to start. We're going to be setting lineups before you know it. Just have fun. One final thing is don't get sticky with your final roster spots. They're, they're churn guys, they're churn spots. Make sure you have them. The other thing I, uh, I mentioned this, it's a little late for this year. I mentioned it in May and June, but you know, those final roster, those final rookie picks, if it's a four round draft, 28 man roster or something, round three, four, you shouldn't really be guaranteed anything. You know, they're going to the back end of your roster. And that's why I tell people be open to trading those for guys that you're going to like try to get clarity on those picks by week one. And that's why I like to pick these these running backs that may, you know, or trade for some where it's like, I think they're going to be the primary backup. You take some wide receiver that's going to be buried on the depth chart, you're going to get, you're going to get coerced and mentally, uh, you know, connected to the player of thinking, well, I drafted him at 309. I can't cut him for week one, even though the prudent thing may be to cut him, you know, and, and so really be careful about your allegiance with those final rookie picks and those final roster spots. You want to be liquid. You want to be able to move and shake, spend a $1, $2, $3 bidding, uh, and really give yourself chances on a weekly basis, and especially some of the things we glean through the preseason and early in the season to get those optimized uh, players on the back end of your roster. So uh, I'll reiterate what Katie said uh, to close out here that uh, it's great to have her aboard. Uh, looking forward to another another ride in, in 2021 uh, because it always feels like by the time it gets here, and I know in uh, seven days, everyone's going to be like lamenting the preseason. But the preseason, hey, we didn't have it last season. I don't know. I missed it uh, just from the mechanics of it. And it's a prequel. It gets you in the, the routine getting ready for week one that's just going to slap us in the face. But uh, again, this ride, uh, we're going to be along every step of the way, every week. Uh, and again, the new market, the new changing environment. So you can always reach out to Katie on Twitter at FF underscore Skyler 399. She's happy to talk and happy to, again, sometimes clarify to, I like these two guys. Who do you like? Um, I am at Chad Parsons NFL and reminder. Um, actually, I wanted to mention one thing about the UTH best ball contest. I've been sending out invites. We're going to be a hundred, uh, hundred players strong. Got the UTH super fans in there. Of course, Katie, Tim, Jordan, and myself are going to be there. So you can compete against us. Uh, and I will just mention that if you want an auto entry, I'm leaving a few open uh, that will get filled all the way down uh, in the next uh, two, three weeks. But patreon.com slash UTH, you get an automatic entry if you become an all pro level. You get also access to the UTH VIP chat, which is really fun. So uh, a lot of uh, additional perks there. But if you want an auto entry into the best ball contest, that is one of the last ways uh, to get in here in uh, August. So look forward to setting that up. I know, you know, Katie and I always, always talk about, uh, pricing. I always have everybody kind of take a look, you know, trying to check my work and uh, looking forward to setting that up here in the coming weeks. So for Katie, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle. Refuse to be average and keep building those dynasties. All of the rest. <laughs> All of the running backs. <laughs>